Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. Hello, everybody. My name is Greg Gregory, and this is a podcast that's dedicated to the growth and development of teamwork, leadership, and culture. The three things that really drive every single business, it's the human factors, if you will. We bring folks to you every week that are designed to help you increase your level of all three of those, whether it's at work, in your church or synagogue, or um, in your home life. All, all levels really are what Teamwork Advantage is all about. And yes, it can even work with your kids' football teams, your soccer teams. <laughs> so we take it all the way across those levels as well. It's kind of funny when we look at all of that. So joining us today is Jared Hummel. And he, right now, he's definitely got a lot of experience in teamwork. We'll talk about that today. But currently, he's an experienced business leader in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area with a history of building startup organizations into streamlined, revenue-generating companies. As president of Parker, currently, he leads a strong financial background and motivated by enhancing growth and finding solutions to complex operating and execution-based challenges. He enjoys working with company leaders to integrate digital strategies into overall business decisions. With an emphasis on nurturing clients and candidates through automation to drive revenue. At, the, at Parker, he combines his finance operations background with marketing background to help fuel growth for the company as well as for its partners across the country. He's also got a background. Yes, he's from Minneapolis, has a background in hockey, and we're going to talk about that today as well. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage, Jared. Hey, thanks for having me, Greg. I really appreciate being on. Yeah, it's always fun to get somebody who's got a background in business and sports that ties the level. So um, a lot of folks want to know, how did you get started? Where did you, how did you get into where you are today? Is You didn't come out and just say, hey, I'm going to be president of this digital marketing company and get there all of a sudden. How'd you get there? Yeah, a long, windy path. But I think uh, to your point, it started uh, early on in sports, like being... Uh, over 10 years into my professional career now, I still find myself uh, routinely going back to, to examples and, and things that happened in my sporting days that have, you know, positively or negatively affected how I, how I run organizations. And so, uh, like you said, a hockey guy from uh, the state of hockey in Minnesota um, had the opportunity, you know, basically starting at eight, nine years old all the way through college to play on some uh, really high performing teams with uh, a lot of guys that are now playing in the NHL or overseas. And so I think from an early age, not only does sports teach you teamwork and work ethic and all of that, but you get to see patterns uh, throughout all those years of teams that maybe weren't supposed to be great, but came together and did something awesome or teams that you know, had all the stars uh, that you could possibly have on a team that could barely be 500. And, and I find myself, you know, con continuously in my work environment, going back to some of those lessons we learned. But uh, from there, um, you know, it's, I, I always say I'm industry agnostic. The one thing that keeps me uh, grounded is that passion for building uh, high performing teams, building great cultures, 
um, and, you know, being a leader. And so I actually started in plastic manufacturing uh, where we built a company um, that ended up having about 30 employees before it was sold. Um, from there, I got into plumbing and heating uh, and some turnaround efforts around that. Uh, for those of you listening, if you haven't been in turnaround environments, uh, they're very, <laughs> very interesting times in organizations. Um, and then actually how I got to where I am now is that um, after doing uh, some of the turnaround work and, and selling that first plastic business, my wife wanted to go get her doctorate. And I was like, well, I can't keep working 18 hours a day stressed out if she's going to be studying 18 hours a day and stressed out. So uh, I began my career in staffing and recruiting as the CFO for Versique Search and Consulting, our sister company. Uh, and then we were talking, Greg, briefly before the show of, uh, you know, about three months after I started, uh, Parka was kind of a hobby. Uh, it was a passion project of our, our CEO and owner and the leader of that company left. And Tony asked me if I would kind of step in as the head of that. And I was like, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't know anything about sales or marketing, but I guess I'll <laughs> give it a whirl. <laughs> Uh, it's evidence, again, that you don't necessarily have to have the background there as long as you surround yourself with the right people and build the right team. Right. Yeah. And that's been, I mean, uh, you know, we haven't necessarily had millions of dollars to invest. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, the, the crew that we had when we started and the, and the group that we have today are significantly different. But, uh, you know, it's been pretty cool to watch us, you know, not only move upstream with the type of clients we have, but um, you know, our last few hires are some of the leaders in, in digital marketing agencies in the Twin Cities that have come not necessarily uh, looking for a new job, but uh, kind of get the itch with the culture that we have and what we're trying to build and kind of joined our team. So uh, it's, it's been fun to watch it happen. Yeah. So you're, you're coming at it from a very interesting perspective. You're working with the hiring staffing side of things, but on the marketing side of things as well. So you're kind of getting a um, multi-pronged approach, uh, if I'm seeing it correctly. Yeah, well, I would just say uh, for those that aren't familiar with staffing and recruiting, um, you know, it's pretty much the consummate sales run organization. If you look at 80 to 90 percent of staffing firms across the nation, they're run by really high end salespeople which means that, you know, generally their solution to everything is hire another salesperson or hire another recruiter. <laughs> and what, you know, what we're trying to do and what, what Tony's vision was when Parka was started was like, that's kind of an outdated old school mentality that with the rise of, you know, Google, uh, which sounds weird, but with the rise of Google and LinkedIn and Facebook and Google jobs and Facebook jobs and Indeed and Monster and ZipRecruiter, like there's all these ways to drive clients and candidates uh, into staffing and recruiting organizations without having to hire 50 people to make cold calls. And so that's kind of the premise is uh, this industry is, you know, probably five to seven years behind most industries when it comes to really performance-based marketing, uh, where you can use metrics and data to make better decisions. And so we're really trying to like it feels weird because marketing's obviously been around forever, but like we're trying to be that cutting edge of really performance-based marketing for an industry that's 
not necessarily great at mm -hmm. marketing. It still though boils down to, will someone be a good fit to the company? So it boils down to the human interaction. So it still comes down to, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it still comes down to a face-to-face -face or a Zoom-to-Zoom, -zoom, if you will, um, meeting with somebody to get a feel to make sure they're a right fit. Am I on target there? Oh, 100%, yeah. And even, I mean, a big thing we talk about is candidate experience through the candidate hiring process. And I mean, there's a lot of technologies that are even coming out now where they have like video job descriptions or video, like instead of having a hiring manager meet 100 people of which, you know, 90 might not, be a great fit like they do video snippets where uh as like a qualifier there's three to five questions that someone has to answer on video that comes back to the recruiter and then they can get uh you know a good snapshot in three to five minutes versus a half hour of their time but to okay. your point i mean that's really what our clients are doing uh are trying to be that matchmaker of finding the right people for the right roles in the organization and so as I said, uh, our sister company, Verseek, has an executive search firm. And I mean, that hiring process can be three to four months for a CEO or a CFO because they're doing cultural assessments, they're doing background checks, they're doing, uh, like they're going on site to the, to the company that's hiring the new CEO, interviewing different people on their team and, and really making sure it's the right fit. So. Mm -hmm. Our clients are the true matchmakers. Uh, what Park is trying to do is just drive the volume of candidates and, uh, to our clients to then vet out and make okay. sure that they're a good fit. So that brings us to the point. Once that person is a good fit, then their job begins, uh, whether it's a turnaround or whether it's uh, building on something whether it's still just taking off where it's going, somebody else has moved on or retired. What challenges are leaders facing today? In this pandemic world, things have changed and continue to change, even as we may emerge out of a pandemic. So what, what's happening? What's the latest going on that leaders are facing today in your eyes? Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's, it's starting to feel a little overdone, but I mean, the great resignation is the thing that everyone's talking yeah. about today. Um, and it's definitely something, you know, we're seeing on our side as we try to drive candidates to our clients is just the market is absurd. Uh, like, I don't know how else, to, <laughs> there's no calm way to put it. Like uh, a lot of the, a lot of our clients and, and Verseek's owners have been in this business 25 plus years and they'll swear on their grave that they've never seen anything like half is this crazy. Uh, and so, yeah, it really, you know, it comes down, I believe uh, what caused it was just the way leaders behaved essentially throughout the pandemic. Uh, you know, the decisions that they made to cut wages or cut pay or, you know, what their remote work policy was obviously uh, you know, especially in Minneapolis, but across the nation, like you had uh, everything that happened around George Floyd and, uh, you know, the racism and, and all of that. And so leaders had a, a, a what, nine to 12 month window where they were being judged 
incredibly hard on the decisions that they were making from a culture standpoint in the organization. And, and now you're seeing the effect of that of, you know, people had a lot more time. Uh, they were away from the office uh, and all of that to kind of consider what they wanted out of their career. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then not only that, but you also have baby boomers who are already exiting the workforce at a record number with uh, millennials kind of taking over or trying to take over some of that leadership uh, bandwidth that was, that was being left behind. And obviously, I mean, there's a million studies on that too, of how baby boomers uh, operated in a different fashion than millennials. So I think, Oh, absolutely. uh, (laughs) So I think, you know, those are some of the, the, the two biggest, things going on right now is just a complete changing of dynamic when we talk about the things you know that you're passionate about greg of teamwork leadership and culture i mean i feel like they're completely being redefined in the you know not post-covid world because we're still dealing with it but (laughs) it's interesting because you talked about uh the boomers and you talked about the millennials and that's we skipped right over generation x yeah, that's true. And the reason is, in my eyes, if you go back and look at birth curves, the, obviously the baby boomer was a huge uh, birth. And then Gen X was very small. And yeah. that, that was a transition because at that point, the older boomers weren't having kids. And so that generation is one of the smallest generations in history. So there's not a whole lot there. So now the boomer, or excuse me, the millennials are having to grow and then leapfrog if you will at times is that kind of what you're seeing as well yeah like uh i gave this example a few times but when i was in plastic manufacturing uh two of our vendors were uh dow chemical and line dow bazel or equistar which are you know both publicly traded global companies and it's just crazy because like they would have sales teams that each salesperson was in charge of billions of pounds of raw material annually and their whole sales staff was over 60 years old and like there was not late there was no contingency plan there was no leadership development plan there was no (laughs) there was no middle ground and so to your point like the gen xers kind of got left behind because once these big companies identified uh the issue at hand (laughs) the people starting the leadership development programs were, were kids straight out of college. And, you know, that was 10 years ago. So that was kind of the heart of the millennial group were the ones getting the opportunities to really grow into those leadership positions, at least in a few of the companies that I was working mm-hmm. closely with. Yeah. And that's, that's one of some of the things I'm starting to notice as well is the leadership roles and people moving into them do you feel that they, the millennials and are ready for those leadership roles? Have they had a sufficient uh, experience, I guess? I'm going to be polite and just simply use the word experience. Yeah, well, I think that is one of the issues that the bigger companies are dealing with is how, <laughs> how do we get them up to speed? Because, you know, how we started the, the podcast was like, I didn't just wake up one morning and all of a sudden become president of Parka, right? Like there's... Mm-hmm a lot of, uh, a lot of stress, uh, marks throughout, (laughs) throughout my time, whether it was sports or, uh, more specifically business that allowed me to get here. And so some of those, you know, you can provide the best 
in my opinion, you can provide the best leadership training in the history of the world, but at some point people have to go through hard times. And I mean, Mm -hmm. even just watching how our owners, uh, you know, went through COVID is like, they had went through the dot-com bubble. They went through the 08 recession. And so like the maturity that they handled this with, like you can only get that by going through other crazy life circumstances. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a millennial myself, like I tried to learn from it, (laughs) but you know, until, until you get another rep at it, I think it is hard. So oh yeah, obviously there's very smart millennials and there's millennials doing great things, but that doesn't mean that they have the same, uh, you know, trials and tribulations and struggles and mm-hmm. decisions that the baby boomers made over the course of, you know, right. their 40 year career. Yeah. And that's one of the things I've noticed. There's some, uh, that are very, very, successful and strong on one part and the other part there's uh, those that are like i don't care i don't want to do anything i just want to live life so you've got the you got the extremes there which makes it difficult so as a leader that brings me to the question as a leader today what are some of the keys to building strong teams today what do you think what what's the key is there a silver bullet first off Uh, i wish anything in life had a silver bullet but uh, i don't think I don't think that exists. Um, no, I just think that in general, uh, the skill sets needed to be an effective leader today are different, right? Like I'm sure when you were getting started, Greg, or even uh, people older than you, like unions were a big thing and like starting and ending, like my mom retired two years ago. She worked at two companies her entire life. (laughs) And that's just not, uh, you know, not really how the, the millennials operate. It's, it's really around trust and empathy, flexibility, work-life balance, like all these new, you know, buzzwords, quote unquote, that you're hearing now. But I think it's a lot less uh, loyalty based, you know, in our industry, we work with direct hire firms and contingent labor firms. And like they say, by 2025, 65% of the labor force is going to be contingent labor. And so companies Let's are, define contingent labor for folks right now. Some people yeah. may not be on board with what that means. Yeah. So uh, contingent labor would just be any kind of uh, consultant contract, uh, temporary, something okay. where you're not necessarily tied uh, W-2 to a company. And so what you're seeing bigger companies and smaller, but like bigger companies is, you know, we have a lot of fortune 500s in Minneapolis. So like Best Buy, like they need to build a new application, uh, you know, for one of their devices. And so they bring in a team of 25 A-level application developers to develop that. As soon as it's developed, like those people are out of there, right? Like, and, mm-hmm. and another example I give is like, there's a group that does only FDA testing for med device equipment. So instead of a startup hiring 10 people to help them through FDA testing, they'll just hire 10 contractors to help them get through the FDA testing. If it, if it succeeds or fails, those 10 people are out the door <laughs> the next day onto the next thing. But it, allow, it really allows for expertise in certain skill sets. And then moving, you know, moving around. And that uh, greatly reduces the, uh, the overhead costs for the company too. Right. Yeah. You don't, I mean, you're paying a company like Versique to, to staff that person. So there's obviously, 
um, an upcharge uh, for consulting and staffing firms to make money. But on the other side, like you're not offering benefits, <clears throat> you're not offering sick time. Uh, as soon as that project's over, you don't have to retool the employee to like go on to a different thing. Yep. Like they just leave. And so um, I think that's, uh, you know, people are really becoming known for a specific skill set, not necessarily, uh, you know, a loyal employee for 25 years. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's go back. What's the key to building a team today? What's the key to putting a team together for whether it's a contention workforce or contract or whether it's a full-time, what's some of the keys to putting a team together? Yeah, I think it, it really comes down to, even if it's contingent, like there's still an aspect that is culture, teamwork, leadership. And so, like I said, like I've run a digital marketing agency for four years. I've never been in Google analytics or, Hootsuite or any of the tools we use because what I did when I went in there is I said, I know how to build teams, but I don't know anything about digital marketing. So I'm going to go find experts in each of the areas that we need. And then even though our employees are W2, like our leadership team meets every week, like we've, we've fought and battled through things together. <laughs> like we're, we're a team, right? And I always say like, I, I have enough work experience to make good decisions. Uh, but you know, we've avoided bad decisions now as an organization is a great time for us to make great decisions <laughs> as we continue okay. to scale. And so I think just that kind of like trust, uh, trust in one another, um, having that true North of what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, I think people in general love, attaining goals, uh, at least driven people like attaining goals. And so <clears throat> providing clarity as a leader. Um, I don't know if you're familiar, I don't think you would compete against like EOS. So it's called the entrepreneurial operating system. Um, okay. but that's something that we use, uh, in all of the, all of our companies, uh, at Verseek and Parka, but it really sets out like that 10 year vision, you know, who are, what our, uh, mission is, what our tagline is, what our, who we're going after from a marketing perspective, what our three-year goal is, what our one-year goal is, what our quarter goal is. <laughs> and, and that keeps it, but then, you know, every quarter we update it and I can hand that out to everyone on the team, whether they were in the room or not making those right. decisions, but it keeps everyone uh, aligned on, on what we're trying to accomplish. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I think, um, you know, from my perspective during this great resignation, Parka knock on wood has been lucky. Like we haven't lost one single person. And so I say that's an anomaly because most digital agencies have lost 40% of their workforce over the last nine to 12 months. And so okay. uh, we do that by, you know, Tuesday, Thursdays, we have huddles where the only rule is you can't talk about work. So we build that, that blended work-life balance. Um, and then, like I said, like, I think it would be weird probably 20 years ago, even though I wasn't in the workforce of like our director of digital, him and I play tennis twice a week, every week for the last three and a half years, our director of content and creative babysits our dogs. Like when my wife and I go on vacation, but it's that like blend of, of work life where it's not just uh, mm -hmm. hierarchical, it's relational, right? Yeah. And there's... 
15, 20, 30 years ago, it was always said that, you know, your work and your life are so separate. Yeah. Um, and that if you ever ask somebody at work, you know, what'd you do this week? None of your darn business. <laughs> you know, those were the responses that you might get. Today, we're starting to cross over that. Um, and I think, I shouldn't say start, we have been crossing over for the last several years. And it's so important because we spend so much more time at work than we do with waking hours sometimes with our own families. And so we've got, we've got to blend that and make sure that kind of comes together. Is there a secret sauce that you look for when you're looking to hire somebody? And when I say a secret sauce, not just for your team, but is there something that every leader should be looking for when they're looking to hire somebody and bring them on board to their team today? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if this is secret sauce, but uh, to date in the four years at Parka and even in some of my previous roles, like I always did the first interview. And the reason I did that was culture. Cause like you could have someone interview with a subject matter expert and they get wowed with a skill set they have, but if they're not a team player, <laughs> I don't really want them on the team. And so that's how I, like, I always start with, uh, me interviewing first, if I don't see them as being a culture fit, then I don't really care what their skill set is because one bad apple can, you know, rot the whole, <laughs> rot the whole tree pretty quickly. And so oh boy, we're pulling out the Osmond brothers now, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. So, that's a reference even way older than you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's, I mean, that's my secret sauce. Like I wouldn't say that it's very secret, but I think, you know, even uh, like good managers sometimes get stuck in kind of that, I don't know if you call it what, like group think of, they want to hire people that are just like them. And so they yeah. go into the hiring process looking for like their clone. And yeah, they're many, my, many. yeah my, uh, my philosophy is like the opposite is like, I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. And so I try to put people around me that are opposite of me and you know, sometimes that makes it a little uncomfortable, I guess, or you have to kind of see through things you don't believe in uh, from, you know, whether it's political or blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, that's, that's not really my business. My business is to create a high performing team. And to do that, we need a whole, <laughs> a whole uh, cycle of different, different qualities in, in our team. So mm -hmm. I think that's, um, you know, one thing I've, I've really learned, you know, throughout my history is just mm -hmm. not, not to, not to build a carbon copy footprint, but uh, a very diverse work group. So where did that mindset come from? Did it, did it come from your days of playing hockey and sports? Where did something of that nature come from that the, your team, oomph, your team spirit, where did that come from? Yeah, I think I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but, um, you know, I've been lucky enough being in the state of Minnesota to play with a lot of really, really good hockey players that have played on Olympic teams and in the NHL and all of that. And, and when you're young, you're in awe by some of that, right? Uh, yeah. And so you think, oh my God, like I'm on this team with 13 people selected for the national development program or whatever. And you're like, well, this is going to be a cakewalk. Like we're going to win every game, win the championship. And then you come to find out you have, you know, nine, 
nine forwards that don't like to go in the corners and don't like to get hit and, you know, don't want to pass the puck. And, <laughs> and all of a sudden you get to the end of the season and you're like, well, what the heck happened on yeah. the reverse side? You've been on teams where everyone said, man, you're going to be lucky to be 500 this year. You're going to be lucky to win a few games. And the team just randomly <laughs> somehow gels. comes together and gels in a way that, uh, you know, like when I started at, at co- the college I went to, they hadn't won the conference in 60 years. Uh, the year before they were three and 22. Uh, they had the first two games that I played as a freshman, we lost five to one and eight to three. And then all of a sudden, like it flipped and we didn't, <laughs> we had like four good players. Uh, and we ended up winning the conference that year for the first time in 60 years, because it was just a ragtag group that believed in each other. We fought for each other. There was, you know, goofy people. There was, uh, you know, really intellectual people. There was <laughs> people yeah. that, you know, and it was just like, whatever it was, like everyone came together and believed in it. And we literally went from, you know, being one of the perpetual worst teams in the division to, to winning it. And then the next four years, we went from having two or three division one level players to like, by the time I graduated, we had 19 division one <laughs> type players. And that was because they saw like what was being built. They wanted to be a part of it. Like they wanted to make an impact and, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it changed the entire culture. And so there it is. There <laughs> it is. Okay. The team can drive a culture or the culture can drive a team. Yeah, it, it literally can work in every direction. There have been teams in the past where uh, one player is a superstar and the team loses a game and the superstar is celebrating. And then the next night, the team wins, but the superstar didn't do very well and the superstar is sulking. And more than one occasion that that player has then, not long after that, been traded because they're not playing with a team mindset. Right. It's getting the team to come together with that mindset. So when we stop to think about that, you know, your leadership style, how, how was that shaped? In other words, what are you doing today that you can directly tie back to your days playing hockey? Yeah. um, I mean, just the experiences that I had and like the coaches that you had and you understand, Mm -hmm. like uh, we were talking about um, Miracle and her Brooks before this and, like my coach when I was in high school was very out of the Herb Brooks era. And, you know, uh, the way he, like, I still use him as an example uh, today because like he would expect, you know, 11 out of 10 effort from you, but there was also a level of trust there. And as you went through four years of playing with him, you understood like everything was calculated, not, it wasn't emotional. It was calculated. And so like, there was always a point, you know, early in the year where a freshman that made the varsity team would get just railroaded and like screamed at and have to skate in front of the whole team. And it was that like moment to humble a very good player that was young (laughs) that, you know, no one's better than the team. And then three quarters of the way through the season, when you're in the dog days of the season, you know, he would kick one of the captain, like senior captains off the ice, uh, at a practice just to like, 
get everyone's attention back that, you know, even though he was a captain and a senior and had earned his stripes, again, no one was better than the team. And so it's just those things that you learn uh, throughout playing sports that when you come to, to work, right? Like, you know, there's been times where I feel like our team is just in a lull and everyone's kind of just going through the motions and I'll go into a leadership meeting and just kind of blow it up <laughs> and walk out and say like, you guys figure it out, right? Like you guys band together. And so there's sometimes like, I have to be the bad guy to bring the team closer together and, and bring out new ideas. And it's just all those little, uh, <laughs> I don't know what you call it, like, not ticky tack because they're very influential, but um, mm-hmm. you know, there's times when our teams beat up and we literally go around the room and just talk about what we appreciate about each other. And it gives a time to, <laughs> to really step back and say like, we are actually all friends and like, we can make okay. stuff happen. So. Well, okay. And that, that's a key, key point there. And that really helps develop a level of trust yeah. among the players. Okay, and again, I'm using the word players, not necessarily referring to sports, but in your case, in your office, the players on the team, there, there has to be that level of trust that people know each other, they feel for each other, they want to back each other, they want to support each other. Um, the military is probably the greatest at doing that, is breaking down an individual to build up the level of the team. So those all come together. So now let's kind of take it into the hiring process. Are there certain types of questions? Are there certain types of things that you look for? And let's just look at your, your situation here at Parka. Are there certain types of things that you're looking for when you're bringing people onto your team um, that kind of come into play? What are they? Yeah. I mean, not that. You, you everyone... By the way, you mentioned culture earlier and I, I got that, yeah. but are, are there certain things that you're watching for Um I'm going to go back to the Herb Brooks analogy in the movie Miracle. Um, he is quoted as saying, I'm not looking for the best players. I'm looking for the right players. Yeah. And that's, that's absolutely key. What are your right players? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm biased a little bit towards athletes <laughs> as we're talking today. Okay, so, wait a minute. Is that, is that your mini me then? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot of different types of athletes, obviously, but I think the skill sets you learn being an athlete and honestly, like it could be uh, speech or theater or something like something where you're, you know, driving forward as a team. Mm-hmm. I think I like to hear the illustrations of that um, throughout the interview process, but um I think the way I interview is not probably traditional and probably doesn't work at big companies, but I like to hear what people have to say. Like the less you talk and the more they talk for me is better in an interview because I ask simple questions of what do you like to do? Or tell me about like, you know, the most accomplished thing you've ever done or tell me about why you want to work. You know, what are the three most important things when you work at your next uh, you know, job and people like, you can tell their preparation, you can tell uh, what they're passionate about. You can hear the inflection in their voice uh, <laughs> and all like all of the things that surround that are really important to me because, you know, someone that just wants to come in and like check boxes based on their job description doesn't always <laughs> mean that they're a great fit, right? Like to, to your point on the Herb Brooks quote, and in, in why I interview first is because there are a lot of people that are accomplished in their career because 
they were an SEO manager for 10 years. Well, that's, that's a given. Like at that point in your career, I expect you <laughs> to be above average at your job. Right. But when you're looking at, do you fit in on this team? Uh, it's a lot of soft skills. And, and the best way I know how to do that is just coming in to an interview. That's essentially a two way, <laughs> two way street where it's like, well, what is a what dialogue? Homework? Yeah. What homework did you do on Parka? What do you want to know about Parka's culture? What, you know, what drove you to apply? Mm -hmm. What, and just hearing how they, how their thought process works mm -hmm. to me, I mean, granted, like everyone else, by no means am I a hundred percent in the hiring process. Like there's always that level of risk, but I think you, I go into it to learn about people's soft skills and, and how they prepare what they're passionate about versus tell me about how you log into the back end of Google analytics. Like give me a example of a, of writing that you do. And, and even after me in the interview process, like we always have them then interview with the hiring manager, but we then have them interview with three or four members on the team from individual contributor to director. Because I say like, well, this is the team that you're coming on. If this isn't <laughs> the team for you, then I would be happy to, you know, give a recommendation to my other friends that run digital marketing agencies. Like, don't come here if it's for five thousand more dollars or you hate your current work environment. Yeah, yeah. When companies give feedback, how important is it for the company to give feedback to the candidate coming in to be hired? In other words. It, 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 let's say that person A is coming in and they don't get hired. Do you feel it's important for the company to give that person feedback about why they weren't selected? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I try to over-communicate all the time. I can't say that I'm always great well, at no, it. It's but... not always done, but exactly. <clears throat> yeah, no, I do think, I mean, every company is different, right? Like some companies, you might just not check the box. Uh, other companies, you know, one of the, one of the things that drives us nuts at Parka is like when someone comes here and says, I want to learn digital marketing. Well, like we're not in the business of training people on digital marketing. Like we're in the business of getting our clients results. So if you haven't taken the time to do, you know, you can do HubSpot training, you can do Google analytics training. You can do like, there's all these things you can do to say like, well, I think I want to be an SEO specialist. And if you don't have the experience, but you put in the work, like then, then we're willing to work with you, but to come explore on our dime, like doesn't make a lot of sense. So that's like feedback that we try mm -hmm. to give yeah. <laughs> in the interview process is like yeah. great person, like, you know, doing a lot of the right things. This is why we didn't. Right. We didn't so there was a situation years ago where a uh, young woman was going into a company and had no background working in Microsoft Word office, you know, none of the office suites. And yet that's all this company used at that time. Okay, they were still coming out of things. And it was asked, it says, you don't have any experience there. Why should we hire you? And the candidate said, because I will learn it before I start. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that took the manager back. And she says, I got to try this. Yeah. And she hired the person. And that person went on to be the best support person working in that organization they'd had in 15 years. 
So it's it's grasping it. It still comes down to a hunch, doesn't it? When you go to hire. Yeah, that's and when you say like a silver bullet or whatever. I like that's where I wish <laughs> I wish there was mm-hmm. one. But to your point, like it is, you know, with experience, you probably get a little better gut feel. But it's still uh, it's still a hunch, and and it's examples like that that solidify it, right? Like that mm-hmm. we have two people on our team uh, that went through the interview process. We loved them. One just happened to have someone we felt was better for that exact position. And six months later, we went back to her and said, Hey, like, I know we didn't hire you for that, but like, we loved you as a person. Now we have the right role for you to be successful. And yeah. And then another guy that, you know, had applied for a role and we're like, ah, like, we just, we don't have it. It was, I think, almost a year later <laughs> that we called them up and said like, okay, like now we always liked you. We didn't, we didn't have the right role for you. Right Now we do. And, and now he's been here, you know, a couple of years. So mm-hmm. I think it, you know, it's a mix of the gut versus the, can they do the job, but creating you gotta have the minimum experience. job skills, <laughs> gotta have the minimum job skills and the right fit. Jim Collins in his book, of course, wrote, uh, get the right people on the bus, get them in the right seats. Yep. And then most organizations forget the next one and let's get the wrong ones off the bus. Yeah. There are times that in the hiring process, we're bringing people on and they may run their life cycle. How hard is it? And are there things that we should look at? I guess what I'm asking is how quickly should we cut strings and release somebody? Yeah. I mean, that's spending most of my career in high growth, startups or turnarounds like that's a continuous mm-hmm. <laughs> continuous issue right i mean if you're growing five percent a year and and just kind of you know going about your business you know it's probably slower but in the four years of parka like we've already went through probably three different iterations of <laughs> employees and that doesn't mean uh that they were bad employees it just means like we've moved upstream like we require a different level of employee. And so it's hard because, you know, I say all the time, like out of all the people we've hired since I've started at Parka, maybe one or two have been truly like bad apples. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call them bad people, but <laughs> just, yeah. you know, not, not great. Hires. They weren't on the right bus. They just need to be on a different yeah. bus. And, and now we're going, I mean, we're honestly going about it again. Like we just hired an executive vice president to run our operations and she comes from another level up (laughs) of where we're going. And so we're going through that exercise of like Mm -hmm. who fits where, what does it look like? And, and does everyone have a seat on the bus? And so it's hard um, because I always say like, I've never hired someone to fire them, but at the same time, like as your organizations grow, like some people rise to the task and others don't. And, and it's the, unfortunate part of business right absolutely we always have to grow and we got to change and that's the great parts of that as we get ready to wrap up here jared let me ask one question what's the one thing that you would change in what you've done in your career growing what's the one thing you would change uh i would probably say the uh we'll call it the fab five but the people that you surround yourself with both personally and professionally 
you know, I can't remember who says the quote, but you're like, you're the sum of the five people you spend the yeah. most time with. And, yeah. um, you know, part of being entrepreneurial is that I'm probably way too stubborn and try to do everything myself. But as I've uh, grown and matured a little bit, I think, I've, you know, as you reflect back, um, the sooner you can find mentors and peers and <laughs> even in your personal life, like a group that, uh, you know, really pushes each other to be the best uh, and and really helps you <laughs> grow your career, your uh, psychology, all of that uh, would be something that I wouldn't say that I've necessarily always <laughs> done the best job at. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. And that's, you know, being open, honest, allows yourself to be a little bit vulnerable. And we know that when you're vulnerable, that makes you a better leader. So yeah, that's absolutely the great tools that we've got there. We've had a lot of fun on here today. Um, the Teamwork Advantage is a podcast that's dedicated to the growth and advancement of teamwork, leadership, and culture. And once a week with the Teamwork Advantage, we share, we learn skills that you can implement immediately. Until next week, remember, having a good week is just being average. When you listen to the Teamwork Advantage, we know you're not average. So go make today and every day excellent and exceptional. Take care. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.